Holy Spirit, and cause to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And Lord, we pray also that your word will go forth and shine like a light, dispelling all the darkness, all the lies, all the, all the deception of the enemy, and bring revelation, bring truth right now. In Jesus' mighty name, let your word go forth and shine. Man, I feel the presence strong. Lord, I ask you to come upon me in power. Speak through me powerfully tonight, Lord. And let your word be a sword that cuts away what needs to go in a hammer that shatters every stronghold. And we thank you, Lord, for freedom. We thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing right now. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So everything's good in the sound booth. Are we good to go? Okay. All right. I'm going to speak on Wake Up. Sorry, I don't have any notes printed for you guys. But just follow me tonight. I do want you to to please maybe have a phone or a, a, some kind of a tablet or something where you can jot down some thoughts because I am going to touch on some things. I want you to be able to document, okay? This is one of those sermons I'm really asking people tonight. If you would, please give me your best ear tonight, your full attention. This is one of those sermons that I really believe is something you'll want to go back and hear later. Okay, It's something that I feel is very important in the day and time that we live. And I believe that there'll come a time down the road that this sermon would be good to pull out and listen to again. So those that hear this that may not be watching this from our website, you may pick this up to a podcast or something. You can go to our website at fnirevival.com. You can download it. The notes should be there as well. You can, you can look us up on sermon.net as well. Just look up River of Life Fellowship. Anyway, we want to make sure this gets out there to people. But this is an urgent sermon. I really feel like it is. And I entitled this sermon, Wake Up. And the artwork there shows somebody that's obviously asleep. And it's like they're hitting snooze. And there's some kind of a, a being there that's trying to keep them asleep, even though they need to be alert. And that's kind of what the enemy's trying to do in a lot of people's lives. All right, so let me start with Isaiah 52, verse 1. It says, Awake, awake, clothe yourself in strength, O Zion. Clothe yourself in beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. So let me read that again. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength. O Zion, clothe yourself in beautiful garments. O O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean will no longer come into you. So let me start with this. The bride and the bridegroom. We all know that a lot of times there's some parallels between what God did in the the Jewish people and their culture. And then what he's doing spiritually speaking. So I want you to see something. So the bride and the bridegroom. If there was a Jewish young man back in the day that wanted to find a wife, okay, the culture of that time was that uh, the young ladies had, one of their chores was to go draw water, and so he would maybe go hang out at the watering trough, you know, (laughs) and be on the lookout, and if he saw a young lady that caught his attention, let me read to you how this would go. It was part of the young lady's chores to draw the water, so the young man would approach the father of the girl and offer some kind of a dowry. The young man would give what he could and the father would set the price of the dowry. Now I'm going to parallel this with Christ. Christ is the bridegroom and his people, his elect, his remnant are the bride, okay? Jesus, the father set the price and the price was Christ's life and Christ paid the dowry in full. As the young man would then come to the house and the father would receive the dowry, there was a cup of wine that was poured and set on the table. If she in her heart agreed to the contract, she took a drink of the wine. This represents the Lord's Supper that we have today available to us, a communion table. So the young man now is excited and he runs out to go prepare a dwelling place for him and his soon-to-be wife, And how many knows that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us right now? 
He would then begin at his father's house to build a bridal chamber. This could take up to two years. And we, since Jesus has left, it's been about 2,000 years. The father would also help guide his hands as he built. After the bridal area was built and complete, the father would declare it's time for you to go get the bride. And only the father knows the day and the hour. When it was time and the house was built, friends would run into the town ahead of the groom and shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And in the scriptures it says when Jesus comes as a thief in the night, there's going to be the shout, one of the archangel and the shofar blast. Remember? Now, the bride, she had a lamp that would lay by her bed and every night she would put oil in the lamp before she went to sleep and she wanted to make sure that the wick was trimmed and the lamp was ready for his coming. So she had extra oil there. She was ready at any time. That's exactly how we're supposed to be, isn't it? Living ready for the Lord's coming at all times with extra oil. She always kept, she was always on the second floor and the groom would have to put a ladder up the side of the house and go up and steal her way. But she went out that window. It was like an opening that she went out of. Okay? And it's interesting because the Bible shows us, I believe in Revelation chapter 4, that there was like a door that was opened in heaven and there was a shout that said, come up here. You see, the bride being caught away through that opening. Do you see the parallels here? But Jesus is coming as a thief in the night to steal away his bride for the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what I feel as I'm going to preach this is I feel that there's a seriousness about this time that we're living. You know, when you look at even what's going on with the signs of the times, Jesus rebuked the, the Pharisees in his day, and he said, you know, you can look in the sky and see it's turning red, and you can tell the weather patterns, but he rebuked them and said, but you don't know how to discern the times and seasons that are spiritually upon you. And how many people out there are the same way today? They're clueless about the time that we're living in. And just looking at the obvious signs that they, I don't think that they see, but the obvious signs of, of, of the blood moons and, and the solar eclipses that are coming up over the next few years. The Shemitah year, the Jubilee, all that's going on, this is all very significant. I've taught on this. But these are serious times, and the coming of the Lord is so near. Did you know from the time that Adam fell... Until, until Abraham was 2,000 years. From the time of Abraham, when the covenant was cut, circumcision was instituted, and God had chosen him to become a nation from that time until Jesus Christ was 2,000 years. And from the time that Jesus died on the cross and raised from the dead till now, has been about 2,000 years. So you look at 2,000 year increments, there's this major shifting that takes place in history. Are you seeing that? You're looking at from the fall of Adam to Abraham. Now, God had found a man that he could use to create a nation that he could bring the law and the prophets and everything through. All that was a pivotal thing that happened at a 2,000-year mark. And then how many knows when Jesus came, everything changed? This was a pivotal mark in history. And we're living at another 2,000-year dispensation where what we know as the church age is coming to a close. And while we're living at this time of such a radical um, time where things are shifting and you can see the end-time signs happening right before our eyes, there are people in the church world that are being like a lullaby of the enemy, so to speak, just going into this comatose state, this sleepiness, spiritually speaking, and they're not even really understanding the severity of the times. Even with the Hebrew calendar, they say something like 5775, but the experts will tell you that's a couple hundred years off. It's around 5975, but think about this. It would surprise me. If we don't see the Lord come in the next couple decades, it would surprise me because there's so many things. And Jesus said the generation that sees all these signs happening, he said that generation won't pass away until they see the coming of the Lord. 
So you're seeing all these signs start happening. I don't have time to go through it. I've preached on it before, but I mean the, the wars, the rumors of wars, the terrorism, the, the plagues, the pestilences that's happening, the, the, the increase in frequency and severity of earthquakes. All these things are clearly in the Bible. And we're living at a time when, when a one-world government and a one-world religion is no longer a fantasy. It's not something that, you know, I can imagine a couple hundred years ago people thought, how in the world could that even work? How could there even be a mark of the beast? Because how would anybody know what, what people are doing in remote parts of the world? You know, I mean, how would you be able to keep up with that about buying and selling? I mean, it didn't make sense. So a farmer comes in, and he's got his goat and some, some grain, you know, and he's going to go to the local mart and, and trade it off for something. I mean, how are they going to keep up with that? But now, with technology like it is, it's easy to see that that could, that could take place at any time. So... You, you might be seeing with your eyes the generation emerging that will see the coming of the Lord, but also you can, right now, you might be looking out and seeing with your eyes the generation of also lost people that will be deceived and duped into worshiping the Antichrist and taking his mark. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation, they will worship the Antichrist they will worship his image and they will worship the dragon. Obviously, that's Satan. But you may be seeing with your eyes when you look out on the landscape of humanity right now, this is how close the coming of the Lord is. That you might be seeing with your eyes people that are growing up that may be forced either to take a mark you know, or die for their faith or whatever. It's, it's that close. I really believe it is. And even in the church world, God is, is calling out a bride, a remnant, that will get close to him, that will be ready for the coming of the Lord in the way of the rapture. All right, so let me read to you some things. Um, signs of the times. Let me just read over Luke 17. Starting with verse 22. Before I read that, how many of you guys have seen some kind of a trap that a, a hunter will lay? Have you ever seen those? Where it's under leaves and, and there'll be some kind of a, a clamp and, and it just it's a sudden thing. The animal will be walking, they step in, it just clamps down real fast on them, they're trapped. Some kind of a snare made for a bird where the bird will come in and all of a sudden it just shuts down on them. And they're, they're trapped and it's a sudden thing. And that's basically what the Bible indicates. It's like a suddenly... Um, that things will come upon the earth. Okay? And people will find themselves trapped. Let's read Luke 17, verse 22. He said to his disciples, The days will come when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you won't see it. And they will say to you, Look there and look here. Do not go away and don't run after them. For just like he's talking about his glorious appearing after Armageddon, he said, Just like the lightning, when it flashes from one part of the sky and shines through the other part, so will the Son of Man be in his day when he comes. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And just as it happened in the days of Noah, so it will also be at the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was like a suddenly thing that broke out. So Jesus said it will be like it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, there was the Nephilim, which I'm not going to get into, but there was also violence that filled the earth, and the earth was so evil that it says that God was grieved that he even made man. Think about that. But Jesus said it would be like that again before he comes. It was also the same as in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and, and uh, buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day that Lot left, went out of Sodom, it rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It was a suddenly. It came down on them like a trap. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, the one who's in the housetop and whose goods are in the house must not go back to get them. Likewise, the one who's in the field must not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. And I could read more, but let me just say this. See, in those times, what Jesus is describing as his coming, first, God saw the righteous there, Noah and his family, Lot and his family, and he saw righteousness, and he removed them out to a safe place. But it was a suddenly. 
the wrath of God, the judgment came quickly. And Noah, of course, is a perfect picture and type of the rapture because Noah and his family were sealed in this ark. And as the judgment of God began to come down, they went up. And as the judgment of God subsided, they came back down to the earth again to replenish it. But it's a perfect picture and type of what I'm talking about. But the Lord is wanting to draw away a people unto Him in prayer that will know Him and be close to Him so that whenever His coming, uh, as far as the rapture comes, there will be a bride that has made herself ready. Are you all hearing this? Because of all the sermons I've probably preached over the last couple of years, I really feel that this is one that needs to be heard and hit home tonight. And I entitled this, The Sleeping Beauty, talking about the bride. Sleeping has always been linked to prayerlessness. So people that fall asleep, spiritually speaking, it's linked to them not praying and not spending time with the Lord. So when the Bible calls awake, awake, and it's, it's commanding people to become awake, what it's saying is for them to begin to pray. The Song, Song of Solomon 5.1 now, a lot of people don't understand Song of Solomon. It, it's, it's kind of deep, but anyway, she's, she's speaking here, and it talks about the garden, uh, or rather he's speaking, I come into my garden, my sister, my bride, I've gathered the myrrh along with the balsam and all that. But she, he went in to, to see her, and, and he said, um, I was, she said, I was asleep, but my heart was awake, and a voice, my beloved, was knocking. Now, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. So here's the bridegroom, and he's knocking on the door saying, Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one, for my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of the night. Remember, the Jewish people had the locks. He said, I've take, and she says to him, now he's wanting to come and spend time with her, and she, she says back to him, I've already taken off my dress. How can I put it on again? I've already washed my feet. How can I dirty them again? My beloved, the bridegroom, extended his hand through the opening, and she said, my heart, my, my feelings were aroused. I wanted to be with him. So she arose to open the door, and the handle dripped with myrrh. But she said, I opened to my beloved, but my, my beloved had already turned away and had gone. And my heart went out to him as he spoke, and I searched for him, but I did not find him. I called to him, but he did not answer me. So in other words, the bridegroom, the Lord came to spend time with her, but she said, I'm too busy right now, or I'm, rather I'm in bed, I'm tired, I, I don't want to spend time with you right now. And he said, okay, so he turns away and leaves. And then she realizes the missed opportunity, and she's wanting to find him, but it's too late, he's already gone. And I wonder how many times in everybody's life the Lord is wanting to spend time with people, but people are just too busy, you know, or they're too tired. How many people are more than willing to sleep in in the morning? They're more than willing to spend way too much time fixing themselves up, you know. And these things, to be honest with you, I think sometimes looks can be a bit of an idol because some people spend a lot more time fixing their hair and things like that than they would praying, you know. And how many times the Lord has, has come maybe in the night hour and he's trying to wake somebody up to spend time and they're, no, I'm just too tired. And the Lord is trying to draw people to him, but they're like, I'm too busy in life. I've got too many things going. And remember, I opened, I said, awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength. People are going to be weak in these last days if they don't have a strong prayer life. So let me give you another example. You know, Peter and the Bible... His name was actually Simon, which means reed. He was, you know, he was unstable. Simon was the guy that would get a great revelation, but then, you know, he would do something that, you know, like all of us, I'm not being critical, something bonehead, you know, just something that's like, what in the world? And so he was kind of up and down, and he, he, would, he was unstable. And the Lord saw that in him and saw that, that he was called Simon, and he was like a reed. He wasn't stable. And so the Lord said, I'm going to change your name to Peter. And Peter means rock, and it means stability. A rock speaks of stability. And so the Lord renamed him. And can you imagine at this time when Jesus was going to the cross, that when 
when Jesus came into the earth and he was walking around and everywhere he went, he was destroying the works of the devil. Acts 10.38. Everywhere he went, he was destroying, demons were fleeing. Everything that Satan had established, everywhere Jesus went, he was annihilating it. And Satan saw this, but he really couldn't do anything about it. And so Satan was frustrated. But here we are now at the Garden of Gethsemane. It's time for Jesus to go to the cross. But Satan doesn't understand everything that's going on. And his goal is simply to come and steal, kill, and destroy. So he's wanting to just destroy Jesus and remove him from the earth and get rid of him. But he doesn't really understand that by doing so, God the Father would permit it. But by doing so, it would be his ultimate defeat and his ultimate undoing. Think about it, the most evil being passing judgment because the cross was, was a, a tool, uh, an instrument of judgment, like a guilty verdict, like an electric chair. As Satan, the most evil being, in, in essence, was passing judgment on somebody who was pure and blameless and righteous. And I mean, it was just unbelievable. But here the devil is, he's now wanting to destroy Jesus. And you can only imagine, as Satan and some of his higher-ups come into where they're at and the spiritual oppression and the heaviness that had to be around them. This is spiritual warfare at its height. And Jesus knew that they needed to be praying. This was a critical time. Are you following me? This is a critical time in history. Jesus knew history is about to be made. Things have been one way for 2,000 years since Abraham and things are now about to turn. And, and history is about to change. Things are going to pivot right here. And Satan knows something's up and he's come and, and this is a time of tremendous spiritual warfare. The heaviness is thick. Jesus is keeping his focus. His flesh doesn't want to go to the cross. But he's, he's, what he, he's praying. And he went back to them three times. So Jesus spent about three hours in prayer, focused prayer. He's praying, Lord, if it be your will, take this cup from me. But not your will, my will be done. And he settled it within himself. He was going to the cross. And at this time, a critical time, when Jesus was trying to tell them, of all times since I've been with you, disciples, and we've gone into some dark places. We've gone into the Gadarenes. There was a naked man running around crazy full of demons. We've gone into some places where there, there were lepers and, and, and all this crazy stuff going on. Of all the times, this is a time right now when you really need to be praying. And he kept going to them and saying, could you not tarry one hour? You need to pray. But look at this. In Mark fourteen thirty seven, he came and found them sleeping when they should have been praying. And he said to Peter, Simon... Are you asleep? He didn't call him Peter. He called him Simon. He was trying to tell him, you're going to be unstable like your name Simon if you don't get up and pray. Could you not watch for one hour? And Jesus again was knocking on the door, so to speak, and was telling them, you need to pray, you need to spend time with the Father, you need to spend time with me, you need to be clothed in strength because of what's going on. And we know the story, because they were not ready for what came, when Jesus was taken captive, they all fled, and, and Peter ended up denying the faith. See, Satan had already said that he wanted to sift Peter, Remember? And Jesus told Peter, he said, you know, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I'm praying for you that your faith fell not. So Jesus saw the warfare coming, but Peter, when it came down to the time of the warfare, he should have been praying, and he wasn't praying, and so he wasn't spiritually strong, and so what happened? He was not scared, as some preachers preach. He just took his sword and cut the head off, I mean, cut the ear off of a guy's head, and was ready to lead a revolt. This is not a man that was afraid. This was a man whose faith was shaken down to the core. Because he really believed that Jesus was going to be another King David. And take over right then and there. His doctrine was off in that area. He didn't understand. But he wasn't ready. And so what happened? He denied the Lord three times. And the rooster crowed, remember? 
And then Jesus, whenever he saw Jesus later on, and Jesus appeared to them, Peter was out there on a boat, you know, fishing. And Jesus called him in, and they sat around a fire, and he ate some fish with them. And, and he asked Peter three times. Because when Jesus died and rose from the dead, the angel told Mary and them, said, go back and tell them, go back and tell the disciples, and also tell Peter the Lord is risen. But when Jesus came, Peter had lost his apostleship. He had denied the faith. And Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep, do you love me? Feed my lambs. He asked him three times. He reinstated Peter again. But see, Peter didn't have to go through all of that. If he would have stayed strong in prayer. Does this make sense? The Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Jesus stands at the door and knocks for time with us. I believe there's times in church services and there's times in people's lives that the Lord is right there and if they will just answer that call to open the door to Him, He'll come in and spend time with them. So waking up, arising from slumber, clothe yourself with strength. There's a great warning. The seriousness of this hour, you see the message in Revelation 2 and 3, the seven churches, the last church, speaking of the last day church, is Laodicea, where they had grown lukewarm. How many people out there do you see that have grown lukewarm? Satan is working very diligently to put out the fire in people. We have got to, and I'm saying this as strong as I can, we have got to learn today, right now, that we have got to get to a place where we're dying to our flesh and we're spending time with the Lord. I don't think it's as optional as what people think it is. I think that whether or not you're going to be ready for His coming has to do with it, to be honest. This is a critical time, just like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is a critical time. The Bible says in Isaiah that gross, thick darkness covers the earth. But the glory is upon his people. But here's the thing. We're living in a time with anybody that has even a little bit of discernment about them can sense the growing, thick darkness that's in the earth. Are you hearing me? You can see it. It's thickening. The darkness of sexual perversions, the darkness with substance abuse, the darkness with violence, the darkness with the occult. It's thickening. And God is calling out a people that he can put his glory on us. And you know, as the night gets darker, the stars start shining brighter. It's not that they're getting more bright, it's just that the darkness is making them stand out. But as the darkness is creeping on the earth, the people of God that really know him are going to shine brighter and brighter. But this thick darkness is wanting to overtake people. This is a time, just like Jesus was coming up to the disciples and saying to them, and I'm paraphrasing, but he was saying, look guys, this is a pivotal time in history. There's spiritual warfare that's amazing right now. You have no idea how thick this darkness, this oppression is settling over this garden right now. And I'm telling you, of all times, you need to be praying right now. You need to wake up and get in prayer. And what they do? They fell asleep. He comes back again, guys, I don't think you're hearing me. Get up and pray. They fall back asleep. A third time he comes back, guys, what are you thinking? You've got just a little bit of time left. Get up and pray. They fall back asleep. Next thing you know, Jesus, it's too late. Let's go. The guards come. They scatter everywhere. This is a time when we've got to die to the flesh, draw into the Lord. This is a time when we've got to renew our minds ruthlessly. Do not entertain things in your mind that you don't need to be entertaining. Whether it's perverted, whether it's violent, whether it's unforgiving, whatever it is, if it's depressed, whatever, do not entertain. Don't give the devil a foothold. This is the time to press into the Lord, to get inner healed and delivered from any bondage. Don't allow the devil to keep things in your life. I think that some people out there are far more asleep than they probably even realize. This is a perfect story I heard a preacher tell. He was ministering out of town. He was driving in his car. It was nighttime. And he put on cruise control. I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this. I've actually had similar things happen over the years where you just kind of, you're there, but you're not there. Anyway, he was driving, but 
he was his eyes were open, but it was like he just kind of was out of it. And there was a truck that was going really slow, and he kept just speeding upon it. And I mean, he was going to speed him, but this thing was going really slow. And so he keeps speeding on until he gets right at the truck. And last minute, he swerves his car. He said he almost flipped his car. And he swerved his car, got back in, in line, and he, he had to pull off the road because his heart was racing just to calm down. But that is exactly what is happening. That's such a good story for this. People are far more asleep than they realize they, that they are in churches. Spiritually speaking, they're asleep. Spiritually speaking, they're dragging themselves across desert sands. They're dry and, and they're, they're, they're asleep and they don't realize that they're racing headlong into these last days and the coming of the Lord and they're not ready for it. Let me talk about foolishness in the scriptures. Hebrews 10.25 It says, Not forsaking our own assembling together as as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. How many see the day drawing near? Let's just be honest. I mean, you have to be spiritually blind to not realize we're in the last days and the coming of the Lord could be any time. The Bible says, keep assembling yourselves together. And I'm going to get into the Matthew 25 about the, the wise and foolish virgins. But here's the thing. The foolish virgins did not have extra oil when it came time. And so what grieves me is this. In a time when we should be in church more than ever before. Are you hearing me? In a time we should be in church more than any other time, people are staying home. They're too lazy to go into God's presence. And they're the foolish virgins that one day it's going to be said, why don't you go and buy some oil where it's sold? Because they don't have the extra oil. So what I'm saying to people is, why aren't you coming to God's house where he's pouring out his spirit and get some extra oil filling you up so that you can be ready when he comes, based on Matthew 25, and be a wise virgin full of extra oil. In a time to pray like never before, people are sleeping. They're rolling over and hitting the snooze. In a time to prepare for Christ's coming, people are partying and compromising. And that's what I don't understand, and I'm going to tell you, not everybody that's calling themselves a Christian even know the Lord at all. They're out there living a party lifestyle. They're compromising. They're living in sin. And when the Lord comes, it's going to be just like a trap. It's going to be a suddenly, it's going to be over for them. They're going to look up and say, oh my goodness, I missed the Lord's coming. And they're going to have to endure some things. But I'm telling you, we're not supposed to be like that. We're supposed to be ready. Amen? In a time when preachers should be preaching Christ's soon coming, you're not hearing it. That, that blows me away. At a time when you should be hearing preachers across this nation preaching about the soon coming of the Lord, you're not really hearing it on a, on a wide scale. In, a time, in this time, instead of preaching about the Lord's coming and getting ready for that, pulpits are focusing on the temporal here and now issues of how to have a happy life, of how to have a healthy diet, how to invest your money wisely. Marriage 101. You know, there's a place for all of that. I'm not belittling that. I think that, you know, there's wisdom in having those things. But that, how many of you guys know, that's a secondary issue here. The Lord is wanting us to be making ourselves ready. Somebody needs to sound the alarm to the people so that people can come out of that stupor and wake up and realize, you know, wait a second, that the coming of the Lord is near and I've got to be ready for this. And pulpits are, are abandoning, some of them are abandoning sound doctrine when the time is for, for God's people to be getting a bride that's ready, 
that is washed in the blood of the Lamb, that is washed in the water of the Word, that is purified with the fire of the Spirit of God, and there's a bride that's being made ready instead of that happening, some people are abandoning sound doctrine, and they're teaching people, oh, you'll just be here through it all, and, and you know, just, you know, don't worry about it, and, and they're trying to teach people survival skills instead of preparing a bride for His coming. And I'm being serious. They're trying to teach them literal survival skills. This is a time for the bride to be ready, having revival and bringing in the harvest. Amen? In a time when revival is needed like no other time, people are content with their programs and their social clubs. Are you hearing me? Let me say that again. In a time when revival is needed like no other time, people are content with their programs and social clubs. And I love, believe me, I love a lot of the prophetic ministry that's out there. I do. I have books. I've been to meetings. I love it. Powerful prophetic ministries out there. But unfortunately, you and I both know that prophetic ministries by and large are not known for their really sound doctrine all the time. Some of them, but not all of them. And the reason why is because some of them lean more on their experiences, their quote, prophetic experiences to base doctrine. While you've got other people that are really digging down into the scriptures to see what the Bible has to say and they really get down into the Word of God and mine it out, and those people have good doctrine. You have people like a Perry Stone or a John Heggie and and people like that. And it's interesting that they all pretty much believe the same thing. Why? Because they really dug down in there and got it. This isn't the time to be abandoning sound doctrine. The Bible says in the last days there would come a time that people no longer listen to sound doctrine. But to suit their own desires, they'll gather teachers that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. But they're getting away from sound doctrine. There's been doctrines that our fathers in the faith have labored and toiled and laid down for us that people are now abandoning these sound doctrines. And it grieves me because of the deception. you got all these baby Christians out there that really don't know the word that are being swept into that. And I'm not so sure that revival is as optional as people might think it is. Let me give you an example. Let me say that one more time. I'm not so sure that revival is as optional as people think it is. Matthew 25 verse 1 says, The kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. So you remember the story about the Jewish young man that was gone building a a bridal chamber and his friends went out before him when he was done and were shouting, Behold, the bridegroom comes. This is where this picks up, so to speak, because this was the culture of that time. And see, back in that time, people that were virgins were were the ones that were getting married, okay? But it says there were five foolish virgins and five that were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent, the wise, took oil and flask along with their lamps. So when the bridegroom was delayed in his coming, they all got a little drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom comes, come out to meet him. And all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. But the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, No, there's not going to be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. You know, that really grieves me because those that are not getting the extra oil. You know, right now, God is pouring out His Spirit all over the world. But you've got some people in the body of Christ that really embrace the move of God. And they're willing to travel land and sea to go get a touch from God. And then you've got other people that sit back and mock it. That's the the foolish and the wise virgins right there. Because God is pouring out His Spirit. This is the extra oil. To prepare us for His coming. You see what I'm saying? This is the extra oil. If the Lord is telling us, you've got to be a wise virgin when I come, you've got to have extra oil, don't you know that He's going to be faithful also to supply the extra oil for us? So He's pouring it out. There's places that people can go and receive, but instead, they're sitting at home watching their DVR. They're asleep. 
And it says, while they were going away to make a purchase, they were going to get some extra oil. It's a little late in the game. When they ran away to go get some extra oil, the bridegroom came, and those that were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. This is obviously the rapture that took place, and the bride was caught away. Later the other virgins also came, came saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. Now, I looked up the word know, K-N-O-W, in this scripture, verse um, 12. I do not know you. And the word know there is ido in Greek, and it means to be aware, to look upon, to consider and perceive, but to look upon to. In other words, the picture is, is that you're sitting down spending time with somebody, getting to know them. They see you, you see them, you talk, you converse. And the Lord said to these foolish virgins, look, I don't really know you. We don't have a relationship. That's where the extra oil comes out of, is the relationship. Remember that in the tabernacle, the table of showbread was translated the bread of faces. It was where you spent time with the Lord. It shows the intimacy with God. Remember the road to Emmaus. As the disciples' hearts burned within them as they spent time with Jesus, even though they didn't know it was Him, it was hidden from them, their hearts burned within them, and then He broke bread with them at a table. Christ is coming for a bride that has spent time with Him. Are you hearing me? Christ is coming for a bride that has spent time with Him. You know Him. You know His voice. You know His presence. He's coming back for a bride that has purified herself. And filled with extra oil. So picture the scene. The Lord warns us all through Scripture. I'm coming as a thief in the night. I'm coming to steal you away. I'm telling you, you don't know the day or the hour. I've gone to prepare a place for you. I'm telling you, I'm going to come at a time you don't expect. So make sure that you watch and pray. That you get extra oil. That you trim your lamp. You stay there looking for me. Be ready. Have the lamp by your bed. Trim it. Get the extra oil. Prepare yourself. Purify yourself. You don't know when I'm coming. But when I do, it's going to be a suddenly I'm going to catch you away. And he's told us that as clear as it can be said in Scripture. But there's going to be people that are still going to be knocking on heaven's door saying, Lord, what about me? What about me? When it comes, you know, the foolish virgins. You know, the thing is, when you read the scriptures, it seems to indicate that even within households, there'll be somebody that's sleeping on one side of the bed and somebody on the other side of the bed. They're married. And all of a sudden, one is gone and the other's left. Think about that. Even in households. You know, children come home from school. One of their parents is gone. The bride must make herself ready. Revelation 19.7 Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to Him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and what? His bride has made herself ready. The bride has made herself ready. Luke 21.36 Watch therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. What Escape what? If we're all just going to see Him when He comes in His second glorious coming, what's there to escape? He just annihilated the armies. He, he set up His kingdom from the temple and He's ruling. And What are we going to escape? His, his rule and reign? For those that have eyes to see and ears to hear. And this is what concerns me. I'll get to that in a moment about the watchman. That, that's what concerns me, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. But Ephesians 5, 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes on the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly in darkness, but now you're in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is disgraceful to even speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For this reason it says, Awake, sleeper. 
Arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Awake. The Lord is saying, you, awake. What does that mean? Pray. Anytime you read awake in Scripture, it's saying pray. It's saying you pray. Awake, sleeper. Get out of sleep. Pray. Spend time with the Lord. Arise from spiritual death, and Christ will shine on you. His presence will come. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as the unwise men, but as the wise. How do the wise walk? We just read that with the foolish virgins. The wise trim their lamp and they have extra oil. The wise are the bride that makes themselves ready. Those are the wise. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks in all things, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Here's the last couple points. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. Did you see that? You know, there's a deep revelation that's coming in these last days about the Lord's Supper. As I've taught on that, other, other preachers have really, God's been stirring that in a lot of us. I've heard people like Jensen Franklin and, and Perry Stone and um, Dick Rubin and several others, Rodney Howard Brown, Randy Clark. I've heard several people talk about how God's really been giving them a deep, profound revelation and love for the Lord's Supper. And God's been doing it in me as well. And so as, as, as I've been teaching on this, I believe it's really sparked something in people that they're, they're understanding there's more to it. It's not a religious ritual. And as they're spending time, you know, examining themselves and taking the Lord's Supper, there's a deep consecration that's happening in people. That's why we have it at the beginning of services. And then, what's the second step? There's a washing of the water of the Word. And what that is, is when the preachers are getting up and they're preaching the Word of the Lord, and people are hearing it, and it's helping to wash their lives. As, as husbands will sit down with their families and say, look, this is what the Bible says, and they're washing their families with the water of the Word. We've got to get back to preaching the whole counsel of God. I was just thinking today, I, I heard a, a preacher that died years ago, but I used to listen to him. And I loved his ministry, and I was watching how the wife was, was speaking about, here we are living in the last days. Don't be a stumbling block to anybody. Be careful what comes out of your mouth. Be careful the way you're living. Be careful where you're going and what you're doing. You don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. Live a righteous life. And she's telling, and then the husband gets up and he's preaching it straight, you know. And it grieved me because as they passed on to be with the Lord and, and their children came up, they're not preaching that anymore. They're just preaching feel-good messages. And it grieved me to see that they're not really honoring their father and mother and preaching what they did. But not only that, washing with the water of the Word of God, but also the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We have got to ask and seek that the Holy Spirit come and move in power. It's not that optional. I think people think that they get to pick and choose and what they're comfortable with. No, this is not optional. It's, it's His way, or it's just not going to work. I mean, I think people have gotten so professional, they think they got it all figured out or something. It's not like that. You know, it's like professional church. We've got all figured out. We don't need the Lord to come, man. We've got our programs, and we've got our system, and we've got the great band, and, and we've got the motivational speaker, and we've got the coffee shop, and everything's all figured out. And, and because that, everybody's coming because it's basic marketing. And we give people what they want, they come back for more. You know, and, and they got it all figured out. It don't work. You know why it don't work? Because I guarantee you if a terrorist bomb went off in one of those places, you'd be surprised how few would actually go to heaven. Hello? Somebody needs to say that. You'd be shocked at how few even really know the Lord. It don't work. And on this side, when we get on the other side of eternity and we see it in hindsight through the Lord's eyes, you're going to see how foolish that really was. 
So we need the deep consecration of the blood of the Lamb. We need the washing of the water of the Word and the purifying fire of the Holy Spirit to come in and start burning out of us everything that needs to go. So here's the last thing about Esther and Ruth. All of you know about Queen Esther? Song of Solomon 5, 7 says this, The watchmen that went about the city found me, and they smote me. They hit her. They wounded her. The keepers of the walls took away the veil from her. This is talking about the woman in Song of Solomon before I get into Esther. But she was... Remember, she had had this close encounter with the Lord, but yet she didn't really spend time with Him. So he left. She jumps up out of bed, opens the door. He's gone. She goes running out to try to find Him, and she goes to the watchman. Who are the watchmen? The watchmen are people that are leaders in the body of Christ that are supposed to know what they're talking about. They're supposed to have some answers. When you go up to a watchman and say, where can I find the Lord? They're not supposed to be sitting here dumbfounded. Gee, I don't know. You know, and then, and then beat you. Okay? And take away her veil. You know what the veil was? A veil back then was like an engagement ring. That meant that they were spoken for. And they ripped her veil away. Now, there's a scary scripture. You can look it up for yourself. I, I don't have the reference here. Just Google it. You'll find it. Where it says when Jesus comes back and he's entrusted people with his sheep and everything and then they had um, abused his people and they had gotten drunk and they had gotten lazy and they were abusing his people and all that. It says when he comes back, he's going to cut those people into pieces. I don't know exactly what that means, but I do know this. There's no way it's good. You don't have to be a genius to know you don't want Jesus saying that about you. Amen. So these people that, that are abusing the body of Christ and they're, and they're you know, just playing games and, and it's about um, trying to manipulate them about their money and different things. Look, man, they're going to answer for it. Okay. All right, Esther 2.12. Getting back now to Esther. It says, Now when the turn of... For each lady came to go in with the king after the end of her 12 months under the regulations for women. For the days of their beautification were completed as follows. Six months she was to be saturated with oil of myrrh. And then six more months with spices and with cosmetics. This was her preparation to go in to meet with the king. It's prophetic. There's a lot of prophetic symbolism all through the Old Testament. For example, you remember Esther, there was an evil man named Haman and he had ten sons. And they were wanting to destroy the Jewish race. One of these days there's going to be an Antichrist in ten kingdoms. that are going to be wanting to destroy the Jewish race. There's a lot of symbolism there I don't want to get into. But in this... The Lord is saying through this that it's time for His bride, that the coming is near, that we need to get saturated with extra oil. See, the oil, the the holy apocrypha, the anointing oil, has spices in it. They gave it a fragrance. And what this is, symbolically speaking, is the oil, the anointing oil being poured over and to anoint means to rub in. That the Holy Spirit is rubbing in that anointing and those spices deep down in us changing who we are. You understand that whenever you've been saturated with oil like that and you come out, there's going to be a different fragrance about you. You may have went in there stinking, but you're going to come out smelling a lot different than you went in, okay? This is something that that God is trying to do, and it's a spiritual thing. He's trying to pour out this extra oil of the Holy Spirit in these last days, and he's, He's looking for people that are willing to sit there for a little bit and spend time with Him and soak in His presence and maybe lay back and quit being so quick to run off and do everything else and soak and let Him fill you with that extra oil. And you know you can have that at home. You know, you could get alone with the Lord, get covered and washed in the blood, whether you want to take communion or not, worship, put on some worship and spend time with the Lord and soak in His presence. Are you hearing me? It's not just for church. And I'm telling you, the time will come. I mean, all of us have got to have our own personal relationship with the Lord. 
I mean, the, the time's going to come where, you know, it's not going to matter. You're not going to be able to say to the Lord one day, you know, hey, mom and dad prayed. Hey, pastor spent time with you. It's going to matter what is between you and him, the relationship you have with him as an individual. And when it boils down to it, you know, I, I've taught my family how to pray and all that, and I've set an example, but I can't pray for them. I can't spend time with the Lord for them. I can't do that. They have to have their own relationship. What I'm trying to say is this. You can't just think that it's just church alone that's going to get it done. You're going to have to spend some time with the Lord. You're going to have to get to know Him. And for you to have the strength to endure these last days and not fall away, not be deceived, not backslide, not go to sleep spiritually, not compromise, to really walk in strength spiritually, you're going to have to have your own prayer life. You're not going to be able to say, well, Pastor Scott or, or you know, one of the elders, yeah, they pray, they pray for me every day, so I'm good. No, it's, it doesn't work like that. Our prayers, all of our prayers in the church will definitely protect you and, and be a blessing to you. But it's not a substitute for your personal relationship with Him. In Ruth 3.8, Ruth was wanting to marry Boaz. You know, he was a kinsman redeemer. Naomi told her, go lay at his feet. And so she was laying there. He, had, he was in there threshing wheat. He fell asleep. She laid there at his feet. He woke up startled, middle of the night, saw her and said, Who are you? She said, I'm Ruth, your servant. So spread the corner of your garment over me, which was the prayer shawl. Spread that over me for your close relative. And he said, May the Lord bless you. But in other words, she was willing to lay at his feet throughout the night. And then, whenever it was time, he was willing to put his garment over her. That meant, I will marry you. You'll be with me. Are you seeing the symbolism here? I started this thing talking about the Jewish wedding. I talking about how he would see the woman and then he would go back and prepare a place. But he was coming in the middle of the night to steal her away. At a time that she didn't know. And she had to be ready. But how many of you ever ever met a really truly sad bride? No, they're all happy and excited and ready to get married. Are you guys asleep on me? <laughs> you know, haven't you heard the sermon? <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it's like you don't see sad brides. You see people that are excited and ready to be married and start their life together. What I'm trying to say is, is people have got to be at a place where they're ready for his coming. And then you look at the story of the, the foolish and wise virgins. The wise had that extra oil and they were ready. So when he came, they weren't caught unaware. So here's what I want to close with. Let the Lord take you deeper in Him. Please hear me. This is where I want you to jot down anything that comes to your mind. Really take this to heart. But I want you to hear me and not get offended at any of this because, look, I could say it this way. How many of you yesterday or whatever, your shadow's healing the sick? You know, you pray for a dead person they raised from the dead. All right. If that's not you, then how many know there's more of the Lord? Okay. There's, some, there's deeper. There's more Book of Acts Christianity. There's a place that we need to go that we just haven't got there yet. All right. So I'm trying to say that to stir you up and say, number one, what about evangelism? Jot this down. If this, I want you about these five points. I want you to really pray about this. What about your heart for souls? When Jesus left, he said this. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Jesus said, I've come to seek and save the lost. Jesus' heart is for the lost. That's why we go out here all the time talking to people. How many times have we been over there talking to somebody drunk as a skunk? Right over there, you know, we go out through here and talk to people. We're trying to tell them, look, man, come to Jesus. Get your life right. He loves you. He He wants to accept you. But number one, praying that God give you a burden for the lost. And to break through any intimidation. You know what tries to hold people back from evangelism is intimidation. The enemy tries to intimidate them and make them feel like they're going to look like a fool. They don't know what to say. They're not going to do a good job. and try, They try to shrink back in fear. You've got to break out of that. Have a burden for the lost and be willing just to step out and go for it. 
That's number one. Number two, going deeper in prayer. Let the Lord remove any type of like a complacency, spiritually lukewarm, whatever it is that's trying to lull you to sleep. Let the Lord get that out of you. If, if you don't have time to pray, then there's something wrong with the way you manage your time or there's something wrong with your priorities. You got time to watch your favorite TV show. You know what I'm saying? You make time for what you want to make time for. There was a time in my life, I feel boldness preaching about this because God's really put me through the fire about that right there. There was a time in my life where I had to to work about an I had an hour drive in rush hour traffic. And I had to leave. I worked at this time. Um, I had to be there, clocked in by 8. So for me to make the traffic, get there and everything, I had to get up so early. And I remember having to get up like at 4 in the morning just to have time to pray and, and then to get ready and then to make the drive. And then I wasn't even getting home till, you know, like 7, 7 o'clock at night, something like that. So it was, it was tough, Okay. But God was trying to see if I would be somebody that would make prayer a priority. Or would I just say, well, you know, it's too hard. and so. But I made it a priority. I stayed with it. And God really developed something in me through that. Number three is the Word of God. Pray that God put a hunger for His Word in you and a discipline to study it out. Some of you may have prayer lives, but really you may be lax about studying the Word. There was a time in my life where God started giving me books to help me study so I could understand. You know, He brought a book called Glory by Ruth Ward Heflin to help me understand the power of praise and worship. I started studying. He brought a book in my life on the blood. He brought books in my life on um, understanding the the Jewish roots and, and books about prayer. And just it was really powerful. And I shared those books with our interns so you guys can benefit from them as well. But really begin to study the Word of God. Not just read over it like gloss over it. No, that's, that's fine at reading it. But I mean, really take some time to study out what does it mean. You know, what it, and really start getting some deep revelation and some doctrine about you. But you've got to have discipline to do it. So pray for that discipline. Number four, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Getting to know the Holy Spirit. God the Father is in heaven. The Son is at His right hand. The one who is in you and with you is the Holy Spirit. So getting to know Him. And to do that, you're going to have to stay pure. Please hear me. If you're wanting to spend time with the Holy Spirit and have this deep, meaningful relationship, but you're sitting there watching people have sex on TV, you know, and you've got filth in your life that you shouldn't have there, you're listening to garbage, you know, the Holy Spirit, this, it's just not going to work. And it's like trying to mix oil and water at the same time. It's, there's going to be a separation there. You're going to have to let the Lord purify out your life and get that pollution out. Okay, begin to clean up what you're watching. Begin to clean up what you're listening to. Begin to clean out your car and your home and, and get out the junk. Dump the alcohol down the drain. Get rid of the drugs. Get, with, get rid of the, the cigarettes. Get rid of the pornography and all the filth. If there, you got stuff like witchcraft and the occult, destroy it. Burn it. Annihilate it. And get rid of it. Purify yourself. And as you do, ask the Holy Spirit to come and start spending time with Him. And be patient, because the Lord loves spending time with you, and He wants to, but He may have to put you through a process before you can really get into His presence the way you want to. He may have to put you through a process of cleaning out your life. That may not be the most pleasant and fun, wonderful thing you've ever been through in your life, but on the other side of it, you'll be like gold refined in the fire, and then you can come into His presence the way you really want to, and the way He really wants you to as well. 
Just like Esther, before she could really get in there with the king and spend time with him, she had to go through that purification, that the oils and all that. And then the last thing is praise and worship. That's number five, praise and worship. Humble yourself and let religion be removed. This isn't a major issue, but this may be for some people, but praise and worship, the seven Hebrew words for praise, y'all hear me, it has to do with dancing, singing, shouting, clapping your hands, lifting your hands, but being free in praise. There's a power in that, in being free in worship, that that is something that will help take you deep into the Lord. And there's a power in praise and worship. Man, there's, there's spiritual warfare that takes place when you praise the Lord. I can show you scriptures. It's so powerful. But if you've been on like, you look through these five points and you say, okay, I can see where maybe prayer hasn't been a strong point. Begin to pray about that. Lord, help me to go deeper in prayer. Help me. Whatever needs to happen, take me deeper. Maybe you look at it and say, well, praise and worship hasn't been that great. I find, I find that I've felt hindered or something. Begin to pray about it. Lord, take me higher in praise and deeper in worship. Begin to do in me what needs to be done. Maybe you look at the Word of God and you say, well, I haven't really been somebody that's really spent time in the Word. Then pray about that. Lord, put a hunger in me. Help me to go deep in the Word. Because, see, here's what happened. God will put a hunger inside of you that will draw you to Him. So what I'm trying to say is this. If you're trying to do it, you may be trying to do it in the flesh. But if you'll say, Lord, I cannot do this, you're going to have to put it in me. Then God can drop in you a hunger for prayer. Then it's like, man, I have got to spend time with Him. And it just draws you into Him. You say, man, I want, to, I want my praise and worship to be different. Then God can put that in you. But the Lord has to do it. And here's what I feel is that, you know, as we're about to pray, we see how the Holy Spirit wants to do this, but what I feel is this. God is, is about to take this ministry to a different place spiritually. And he's trying to get people ready. And my daughter had had a vision of where she saw like this, the wind of the Holy Spirit in front of people. But some people did not recognize it. They didn't even know that the Holy Spirit was there and moving. And so because of that, whenever the Lord started going in a new direction, they were left behind. Like just there. At the same place they were. And the Lord was moving on to something else and they were left. Let me tell you that this vision that, that a powerful man of God had, the Lord showed him that there was a group of people walking with Jesus. And Jesus started speeding up his pace. People started falling behind. So Jesus starts speeding up his pace more. More people fall behind. Pretty soon there's only a few people left with Jesus as he sped up his pace. The Lord is going to start doing something new. He's going to start accelerating things. And the Lord is wanting everybody to be able to really go with Him in that. And that's where this sermon's coming in. We've got to wake up and be ready. There's a scripture in Jeremiah that says, If you can't keep up with people on foot, how are you going to keep up with horsemen? In other words, Jeremiah was trying to warn them, things are about to accelerate here, guys. You, you know, you can't even, you're not even in good enough shape to keep up with people on foot. Man, then how are you going to manage running with the horsemen? They're going to leave you in the dust. So the point is, things are accelerating. Things are about to go to a new level. And God's wanting to take us to new places in evangelism, prayer, the Word, fellowship with the Holy Spirit, and praise and worship. So just for a moment, I know you guys were jotting things down, maybe in your phone, your tablet, notes, whatever you were doing. But I want to take a moment... We're going to shut down recordings, and I want us just where you're at to pray about it for a few minutes, and then we're going to pray for people that want prayer tonight. Let's go ahead and do that. If you could please.